Hello, welcome to the Early Value NFL Betting Podcast. We're on to week two of the NFL season already, and tonight's guest is the man from Props and Hops, and now the Hammer Time Network, Matt Landers. How are we, Matt? Russ, doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. I love you mentioning Hammer Time right off the top as part of the Hammer Betting Network, and it is Chargers Chiefs Week, so no more appropriate place to be than right here with you on the Early Value NFL Podcast. Definitely. it's uh, We've had a few technical problems getting, getting this going tonight, but we're finally a- away with it. And you're right, I have to have you on, being a big LA Chargers fan and me being a Kansas City fan. Thursday night, first game on Amazon Prime. Great game, great matchup, two, two really good teams. So, And uh, can't wait for us to win. <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, I think things are looking your way. The line, well, I'm seeing now uh, one of the bigger market makers up to five shaded toward five and a half. So any value on the Chiefs has probably sailed by now. But the way the injury situation is looking for the Chargers, they might get interesting if we see any sixes. But otherwise, this might be a watch and learn. Hopefully a really fun watch, like you said, on that first Thursday night game for Amazon and that new crew with Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. Definitely. And uh, for people who don't know, me and Matt have had a, a friendly a friendly wager that if uh, if the LA Chargers win the Super Bowl this year, that himself and his good lady will come on to our podcast. And if the Kansas City Chiefs win, myself and my wife, not that I'm sure she'll talk much about NFL, but uh, we'll go on to go on to the props and hops and we'll we'll talk. So it's a nice fun thing to keep us going through the season. Absolutely. Either way, if we get either team winning the Super Bowl, having that joint couples conversation would be a blast. So certainly I'll be rooting to have you come my way if the Chargers can emerge victorious. <laughs> but if the Chiefs can do it again, then uh, yeah, Mrs. Props and Hops and myself will be glad to pay up our end of that deal. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Like I say, it'll be fun with my wife. That's for sure. I'm not sure. Uh, her, her memories of going NFL games are too uh, too exciting. Uh, moving on to the, the real action and the NFL. Obviously, week two is always classed as overreaction week. What are we not overreacting to? Because there was a fair few shocks this week and a lot of uh, a lot of survivor teams have, have bit the dust already. Yeah, I think more than half of the field in Circa Survivor is already wiped out. I know in one of the Survivor pools I do with some friends, I had Cincinnati, so I made a quick exit myself. But it's interesting to me, looking at week two lines at this early stage, I feel like if anything, this might be more of an underreaction week than we've seen historically. Looking at games, and we can touch on them in more detail if you'd like at any point, but um, Seattle, San Francisco now in double digits, so the Niners were as High as touchdown favorites. The Seahawks were as high as touchdown underdogs. San Francisco loses as a heavy favorite. Seattle wins outright as a heavy underdog. And that spread has ticked up into double digits at this point. If we look at Houston, Denver, you know, the Broncos big loss last night. Uh, The Texans, they tied the Colts and cosmetically on the scoreboard. That was a pretty favorable result compared to how big of an underdog they were. Denver still laying double digits. Chicago Green Bay, the Bears went outright against the Niners. The Packers, pretty ugly loss to Minnesota, yet Green Bay sitting as a double-digit favorite. So I think a lot of spots in the past where there might have been some opportunity looking at the numbers to align with the maybe the narratives or the notions we take away from week one, the numbers would support maybe playing into some market overreactions. I'm just not seeing much of that on the board right now. 
yeah, I think you're right. I think Gino is actually sneakily doing okay for Seattle. And as you say, it could be under underestimating actually Seattle and him. Same with Green Bay. I mean, their, their offense really with these wide receivers are, are looking really short. Um, it's not going to be like last season. Drew and Andy on the deep dive were saying it, how it's a totally different from the loss that they took to the Saints in week one last year. Was it the Saints week one last year? It was, wasn't it? Uh, when yeah, they, they played the Saints team. in Jacksonville. Yeah, and, uh, and they were able to bounce back this year. I think there's a, a lot more warning signs than than anything. I wouldn't be in a rush to be betting 49ers or uh, the Packers plus uh, minus 10 in either of these two games, personally. Yeah, I think some sharp people that I've heard from do make a pretty decent case for Green Bay. That line, again, before Sunday's games kicked off, before the Bears won outright and the Packers had a pretty big loss, we were looking at the week two line, nine and a half, 10, right in that range. So really no adjustment. Again, you'd think that if this came down to seven or seven and a half, maybe there's value going the other way. But it's hard to yeah. say the market has overreacted when, based on the point spread alone, there has been essentially no reaction. Yeah, definitely. It's um, and obviously the teasers uh, it, it, it makes such a difference with the uh, with the spread going into the teaser with some of these moves that have bounced up to ten. We we're just speaking off air. Obviously, San Francisco now have moved really out of the teaser range for this coming week, um, and more now that you'd maybe look towards Seattle more than San Francisco. Yeah, I'll give you a two-part answer there. Number one, with San Francisco as a 10-point favorite, they joined the likes of Green Bay as well as Denver and Buffalo as teams currently laying 10 in week two. And between those four games, if we see any of them tick back even just half a point to nine and a half, then that opens the door to some seven-point teaser possibilities Seven points, of course, starting at nine and a half, crossing us down through those key numbers of seven and three. And seven point teasers typically can be found in the range of minus 140. I wouldn't lay more than that in a seven point teaser. But for a lot of people, even minus 140 might sound awfully steep. But to that, I would counter if we look at a money line parlay with two teams laying nine and a half, you're going to pay a lot more than minus 140. And the only trade-off here is you're conceding the one and the two so that, yeah, if one of these teams you tease down to minus two and a half or to win by one or two, the teaser doesn't lose or the money line parlay would. That's a pretty rare scenario. And given the relative discount we're getting at a price point of minus 140, I think a seven-point teaser could be well worthwhile if we can get, again, a couple of these teams down to that minus nine and a half price point. But focusing on the spread now being at 10 for Seattle, San Francisco, I'm giving a lot of thought to playing Seattle. If I had to bet one side right now on the week two card, Seattle plus 10 would be my ticket. And I know that right before we started recording a mutual friend of ours who is quite sharp and does a lot of things well in the content space, had a release on the 49ers rating that one at minus nine that moved this game up to 10. I think there's a lot to be said about taking the Niners loss with a grain of salt and not giving the Seahawks too much credit with that win last night. There's a myriad of things we can touch on with Nathaniel Hackett and the yeah. conditions at Soldier Field on Sunday that the Niners had to deal with. Also, the Broncos losing two fumbles inside the one yard line on back to back drives when they're going in for touchdowns. So, yeah, maybe the Niners shouldn't be 0 1. 
Uh, it's yeah. a stronger argument that the Seahawks shouldn't be one and oh, but even with all those factors laid out in betting, it all comes down to the price. And in the handicap that I've seen for San Francisco minus nine that moved this into double digits, I didn't see that point come up. I mean, before Sunday's games, before the Niners went to Chicago and lost, they were laying nine. So now we've seen a team again, lose as a heavy favorite. And then we've seen their opponent win as a heavy underdog. And not only has there not been any adjustment, but the Niners have now been bet up to minus 10. So I get why the knee-jerk reaction would be to fade Seattle's win and not sweat San Francisco's loss. Uh But the market is telling us that they're already moving in that direction. So if anything, now looking at Seattle plus 10, to your point, Geno Smith, no turnovers last night. Um, He had one pretty dicey throw across his body. You don't want to see that too much, but with his mobility, I I know Trey Lance can be a bit of a wild card. So there is some variance involved, but if I'm getting 10 points in this game, I could really only look Seattle's way. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Obviously on the week two games, another one that comes up is going to sort of talk about week one and the week two game of it, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Mm -hmm. was there any more of an offense that was so disappointing with with the amount of every time I turned around, it seemed like they were intercepting Joe Burrow, but they just weren't, they just couldn't move. They just, they, they couldn't capitalize on it. Whether that was down to Trubisky, a lot of his passes seemed to be sailing high. They didn't get a lot out of the run game. Uh, What, what do you think it was the Bengals defense was good or is this, uh, the Steelers' offense is going to struggle a lot this year with Trubisky under center. I would lean more toward the latter. In fact, that Steelers-Bengals game, that's another one where I might be inclined to downgrade the touchdown underdog that won outright, perhaps a touch more than the touchdown favorite that lost outright. And that's a bit of an exaggeration, mm-hmm. but with the Steelers, they were plus five in turnovers, including a pick six. So for them not to win that game going away, is a red flag in and of itself. And then they suffered some injuries during the game. TJ Watt, the biggest one, certainly. He's going to be out for quite some time. They're not going to have him on the field as we look at week two specifically. And then Najee Harris, it's sounding like maybe he'll be back for week two, but he had a preseason injury that was more serious than we'd been led to believe until later on in the preseason when more news came out. Then he had some injury issues resurface week one at Cincinnati. So if they're down... Their best defensive player, one of their bell cows on offense. They had a hard time even capitalizing on a massive turnover edge. The Steelers also sacked Joe Burrow seven times. So aside from all the turnovers, it's pretty crazy that they were not able to win that one going away. This is going to sound like a hard pivot the other way. But this week, looking at their line against the Patriots, I'm seeing some books still plus one and a half for Pittsburgh and probably more of a fade on new England than anything, but I think the T the teaser options, uh, you know, need to have Pittsburgh perhaps at the top of the list. We're looking at a game with a low total currently seeing a consensus of 40 and a half, even some forties out there. Mac Jones sounds like he will play, but dealing with some back issues. So minus TJ Watt, if the Steelers can put him under any duress, who knows what we'll see out of the Patriots offense. I don't have, a lot of faith. I'm sure I'm not alone in this and not being a big believer in the likes of Matt Patricia and Joe judge. So not eager to back the Steelers, but it's hard to see the Patriots separating themselves in a significant way. And with the Steelers coming to their first home game, 
want to know. I, I just think that even if New England wins this one, I would expect it to be pretty competitive. And when we're teasing an underdog up through a touchdown, low totals give us much more relative value with the same six points that we're buying. You know, six points is a much bigger share of 40 than it is in some games that we have lined in the mid 50s this week. So just that alone is another nudge in favor of stealing, teasing the Steelers, even if their <laughs> offense was not so inspiring this past Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Stealing the Steelers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That, uh, and I think that's the thing. Tomlin always has that Steelers defense ready to go. O always has them. They've always had a good defense. And I think that's the thing this year is, they're going to be in a lot of low-scoring games. And the teaser option for a team like the Steelers is going to be massively in play in a lot of games when they're around the two-and-a-half, one-and-a-half numbers. Um, as you say, it's at the Steelers. You can't, I can't see New England being able to come in and win that by eight points plus. Now, they may win the game, as you say. I just I don't, I haven't got enough confidence in them to see them winning by that many myself. Uh, what is going to be a huge loss? I think they're nought and six without him. Um, so it just goes to show uh, money line wise. Yeah, they, they're going to struggle. They're going to lose that bit of pressure and leadership on defence. But I still think that they'll have enough there to keep the game close enough. And as you say, ideal for the, for the teaser leg. Absolutely. Um, and I'm not too eager to go against a guy like Belichick as many red flags as there yeah. are with the Patriots. Um, I think your wording was something to the effect of, I can't see the Patriots going in and winning by eight plus. I, I do want to just temper my enthusiasm a little bit. I, I won't be stunned if we see the Patriots win by 10 or just really get right against a beleaguered Steelers offense minus its best player on defense. So as much as I like this, the Steelers are my favorite teaser leg this week. Um, it's not like any one bet that I make for a certain bet type is two times or three times the amount that I would stake, you know, on another teaser. If anything, really liking the Steelers could bump them up from a, a standard one unit play to perhaps a 1.2 unit play with a strong second leg to pair with them. And then if there's another advantage teaser where the numbers add up, but I, I just don't feel the best about it, you know, I might reduce that to eight tenths of a unit, but I tend to be a bit more of a, a flat better, if you will, just because as we learned pretty quickly in week one, anything can happen in any of these games. So want to try to, you know, raise the stakes a little bit when the perceived edge is higher but also not make any assumptions about any possibilities seeming off the table. So with, with them being obviously your favorite, one of the teaser leg, would you, will you only throw them in with one of a team or will you do maybe multiple different teasers and have them as the forefront of a, a, a lot of different teasers? Cause there is a few here that you could throw in with the Steelers. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's something that I'm still wrestling with mentally to inform my own betting approach. I know a lot of people, when we have a board with so many good teaser candidates, it might be a popular play to round robin all of the teams. So pair the Steelers with Washington, plus eight and a half. Pair the Steelers with the Vikings, up to plus eight and a half. Um, there are a few ways you can go. Carolina, you could involve them too. So if you got four legs you like, maybe just round robin them all with each other. What I've found, limited experience I've had doing this going back a couple of years, seemingly every time I would round robin teams, you know, if you go three and one, but that one losing leg is involved in teasers with every other team, that's a lot of losses that pile up. So you have to be careful with your exposure. 
And I'm sure there are the Steve Fezziks of the world who really know the math and can just dial in the perfect game plan. In fact, I should probably try to ask him the same question you just asked me to get the maybe the, one of the closest things to a correct answer to that question. Yeah. Um, this is more of an art than a science at times. So not to imply that there is only one right answer. For myself, when I see a lot of teasers that I like right now, my approach is to say, okay, if there are four that I really like, what are my top two? And this week, I really like Pittsburgh paired with Washington, taking Washington up to plus eight and a half at Detroit. So when I really like those two, okay, I'll play that one for 1.2 units. If there's another teaser that I think makes sense, but I don't like it as much, I'll probably make that a standard unit or play it for eight tenths of a unit. And I won't round robin as much just because of the variance that I kind of just touched on previously, knowing that if one thing goes wrong, it can really just lead everything else built on top of it to unravel. Um, I might be leaving some edge on the table by not getting myself more exposure on a team like the Steelers if I really like them this much in teasers this week. But I will accept that if it means that I'm also not opening myself up to bigger losses if I like the Steelers so much. But it takes two to tango. And if I pair them with three or four other teams and, and there's a lot of round robining going on, you know, one thing going wrong can really turn a good day into a bad day. Yeah, definitely. And, and as you've seen with someone not on opening game with the Rams, a lot of people put the Rams in in a lot of teasers mm -hmm. from just seeing around on Twitter and that. And it just shows you it doesn't always it doesn't always work out as they got blown out and a lot of teasers were in the in the dump before uh, before we even got to the Sunday games. Yeah, and one thing I learned from that week one game, I was one of the many with the Rams involved in a teaser, and I heard a good point. First place I heard it before the week one game kicked off was Josiah Clark, who I've had on Props and Hops. Yeah. He goes by at Sharp Clark NFL on Twitter. He's doing good work with 4 for 4 this season, and he mentioned that Buffalo is a team that just doesn't let off the gas when they get a big lead. So a big part of the teaser approach is just looking at the numbers. I want to see an underdog in the range of plus one and a half to plus two and a half to take up through three and seven, or I want a favorite in the range of minus seven and a half to minus eight and a half to take down through the seven and the three. But then we want to, you know, look at a game's total, see what that might imply in terms of variance or considering how certain teams play, you know, Buffalo doesn't allow a lot of backdoor covers because they don't take their foot off the gas. Other teams, I mean, we've heard Joe Lombardi, not that the Chargers were in teaser territory for week one, but Joe Lombardi has admitted himself that he got more conservative than he probably should have in the fourth quarter against the Raiders. So just knowing which teams are susceptible to the backdoor, that could be good to tease, you know, opponents going into those matchups. And some teams like Buffalo, I mean, that game against the Rams, yes, it fit the Stanford Wong model, teasing the Rams up through three and seven, but it had a really high total. The game ended up coming in under, but a really high total can be one red flag against a teaser. And then a team like Buffalo can be a second red flag. If you know, once they get up, they're going to keep their foot on the throttle. Yeah. And uh, Sharp Clark, really good. I had him. I was lucky to have him on during the off season. Um, really nice man, and as you say, doing fantastic work. And very, very unlucky last night that he bet uh, mm. the winning score to be Denver nineteen, Seattle sixteen. So to have uh, missed that field goal or not got a bit closer for it to maybe have been an easier shot was um, was a really unlucky loss for him. Uh, that's great talk about teasers. Really good. Really, uh, hopefully, a lot of people have really took that on board because. It is a, a, a market now that is becoming more and more popular, especially over here in England. Um, so, yeah, I think it's great for anyone learning them sort of numbers 
and the totals and how to try and match them and pair them. That's really good, Matt. A game I wanted to speak about was the Titans. Now, I'm not overly high on the Titans, and they're going into this Buffalo Bills game at plus 10. And I'm tempted to bet them at 10. Just a little bit on Vrabel. He's so good the last two years of getting the Titans up for these big games. Now, granted, a lot of them were in Tennessee, but they last couple of years, they've beat the Bills, the Chiefs a couple of times, the Rams, the Saints, at the Rams it was last year, the 49ers, but they do throw in a few stinkers from time to time. Last year, losing to the Jets. Uh, they got a good whipping last year, week one against the Cardinals at home, and then they come out week two and one as, I think, around about six-point underdogs in Seattle. Um, now, I know Seattle are no Buffalo Bills, and this is a lot harder game. I just think that 10, they he could get them up for this enough that it could be a lot of points. But that Bills offence, as you've just said, how, how Sharp Clark says, when they get in front, they don't let up. And, and they, they could be they could be 21 up in a blink of an eye. And I'm not sure if Tennessee have got the offence to be able to come back from such a deficit. So can you either put me off or, uh, or lead me more to it? My best case would be to nudge you over the edge and bet Tennessee plus 10. Tell all your friends to do the same. Get this line down to Buffalo minus nine and a half so they become a viable option for me in that seven-point teaser we were talking about. Yeah. But I think you bring up a good point. Vrabel can be one of those coaches that's tough to pin down. I think there are some parallels to a guy like Mike Tomlin. When it comes to in-game management, I mean, Vrabel famously punting on, what was it, fourth and two from the opposing team's 40 yard line, yeah. something like that. And the wild card loss to the Ravens a couple of post seasons ago. Yeah. And that was not an isolated incident. A lot of game management decisions leaving much to be desired, but there's something that even a lot of pro analytics people understand. I think a lot of the mainstream media likes to paint analytics people out as being robotic. I think Nathaniel Hackett even mentioned a dig at analytics after the game last night some sort of offhand comment like, oh, if you're into that sort of thing, then maybe we shouldn't have tried the 64-yard field goal. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think it takes an analytical genius to tell you that. But the the analytics crowd can definitely point out when Vrabel might punt at the wrong time or you know run too often on first downs. Of course, when we've got Derrick Henry, maybe that changes the dynamic of how run-heavy you should be compared to other teams. But I think what Vrabel can do really well is just command a locker room and really get buy-in from 53 guys. And that is a skill set that is much more difficult to quantify, but it certainly matters. So I see the point that you're making overall in all seriousness. I, I would love enough people to bet Tennessee plus 10. Uh, I, I don't know who would be inclined to bet Tennessee unless they're getting 13 or 14 points. If anything, I'd guess this number continues to go up and it ties back to that point I was making earlier about Buffalo, just not letting off the gas when they get a big lead. You touched on it as well. Um, so right now, if I'm looking Tennessee's way, I'm probably sitting back waiting to see if this number continues to go up. Um, selfishly, I'd love to see the bills drop one tick down to minus nine and a half to open up some teaser potential. But I, I just think that, as much as we don't want to overreact to week one and the Titans were a pretty manageable field goal away from winning their game. So they, they probably should be a one and O team. Buffalo was just so impressive. And I was wondering what we were going to get from them. Their first game without Brian Dable calling the shots for the offense. Mm -hmm. And it looks like they haven't skipped a beat. So that's just a freight train that right now 
I am in no rush to step in front of. No, and, and that's it. And it's sort of the 90% of third down completions makes me think that's got to regress as well. But it doesn't have to regress this week either. It can regress over the course of the season. It's, it's obviously unsustainable to be that amount, but you can't expect a big drop from, from one week to the next either. Um, other than that, there's, there's not many games, I must admit, that, that interest me too much. I know, uh, I know you wanted to speak about a prop. Is there any other side you wanted to speak about, Matt, before we talk about that and the Chargers-Chiefs game? Yeah, let's go into the prop and Chargers Chiefs right yeah. now. Again, I, I wish I had more conviction on something. I would say, yeah. you know, Seattle plus 10. If I'm making one bet on the mm-hmm. board right now from a point spread standpoint, that's it. But the thing that I'm really realizing is this seems to be quite the underreaction week, if anything. So just not as many week two overreactions mm-hmm. to play into this season. Fortunately, we've still got the prop market. We've still got a good teaser card and we've still got a juicy Thursday night matchup that we can enjoy if nothing else as fans. Definitely. So going on to the prop, you happy to talk about your favorite one that you're you're looking to be involved in this weekend? Yeah, so that's going to take us to the Cardinals Raiders game. And I'm going to be going back to the well on a prop that I lost on my first episode of the season on props and hops with the Hitman. But I like another look at Kyler Murray rushing yards over. And this isn't widely available yet, but it was in the range of 32 and a half when I bet it last week. Ended up settling in in the mid 30s, around 34 and a half. And the approach that I'm taking this week is pretty similar. Early in the season, when Kyler Murray's at his healthiest, that's the best time to look this way for this kind of prop because given his stature and his style of play, he tends not to hold up as well over the course of a full season, but that's not as relevant for a week two specific prop like this. And last week, so I mentioned it was bettable for a while at 32 and a half, ended up settling in in the mid 30s. Murray landed at 29 rushing yards. But a lot of that was because of the game script. This one just got out of control. Murray got to 29 pretty quickly. And then you just knew for most of the second half, there was no reason for them to have him run and expose himself to any injury risk. In fact, they brought their backup quarterback in for the final drive, and he had his way with a few scrambles. So would have been nice to get that out of Murray, but I understand why in a blowout loss, um, once he was at 29 Early in the game, you'd think, okay, this is cruising to the over, but he had pretty much hit his ceiling then. The Raiders have seen a lot of steam. So while I expect a more competitive game, um, I you know, I don't think that the Raiders are necessarily going to put the beat down on them that the Chiefs did last week. So overall, if I look at that factor, and then the Raiders pass rush with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, if they can get Murray off his spot without receivers like DeAndre Hopkins to go to, um, I just feel like if they get him on the move, he can yeah. fight back against that pass rush, kind of fight fire with fire, if you will. So while he's healthy with this matchup on the table, um, I would anticipate this one being more widely available in the range of 34 and a half pretty soon. And that's a look to the over that I would have for this week two matchup. Yeah, I agree. I, and it's the pass rush lot you just said then. He keeps so many plays alive. And I think that's the thing with, with them wanting to come after him. He'll be more than happy to move. And the game, it, it, yeah, it just got out of control, as you say, on, on Sunday. And ideally for me, I'm happy I'll take that every week as a Chiefs fan. But it, that, that's there was no point at all of him then just carrying on with, 
with running around. Like you say, all it takes is one bad hit. And um, uh, Kingsbury would have got absolutely hammered for having him out there running around if he had got hurt or that. So if he's around anything around that sort of number again, which he should be, I can't see I can't see that how they can open him higher than 34, that's for sure. We might get lucky, we might get a 29, 30, but um, he's going to be around there. Yeah, I'd only look to the over on, on that. I think um, I think with his receivers being a bit injured, they might not be able to get free as much. And again, the play breaks down. He's not going to be hanging around. Um, he'll be off. So, yeah, like it. Um, moving into Chargers Chiefs, uh, while we're, we're talking about that, it may as well it's sort of spiral into it. I sort of think it was a little bit of a buzzsaw game for the Cards, that one, because of all the off-season talk of how is this Kansas City offence going to be, what's it going to be like without Tyreek Hill, etc., etc. It just seemed like they were going to be ready to come out firing. They, they were this... That game on Sunday was not an ideal scenario for, for the Cardinals. Their defence isn't the best anyway. And it just seemed like they just walked into just they had they were just getting blown out straight away. This game is totally different. Chiefs Chargers division game. Chargers are very highly rated again this year. It's I, I always get worried with the Chargers because they've got so much talent both sides of the ball. Um, JC Jackson probably going to miss, I assume. Keenan Allen surely can't be making it, uh, which is ideal for the Chiefs. Chiefs, McDuffie, I think, will be out, which is going to be a loss for them at cornerback. I think it's, 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 I can't wait. It's a great game. Yeah, I think as fans, we're going to have a lot of fun watching this. And even non-Chiefs and Chargers fans, probably going to enjoy this one quite a bit. From a betting standpoint, I'm not seeing much when I look at the spread in the total. The Chiefs mm-hmm. have been steamed up. And based on the absence of J.C. Jackson and Keenan Allen, I understand why. I think that if I had to make a bet on this game, I would look to one of my signature bets over the past couple of years. Looking at this total of 54 and a half, that means we're probably going to see a lot of touchdowns. So I like the... The market that we will probably see for (laughs) shortest touchdown under one and a half. (laughs) I think you knew where I was going there. (laughs) Yeah, and and you know some of it, it's it's a pure math play on one hand. I mean, more points bodes well for the odds of more touchdowns, and the more touchdowns we see, the better probability that at least one of them comes from the one yard line. And this can sound like a really specific prop, like having to score from the one sounds like you're threading the needle, but between things like pass interference in the end zone. Um, if illegal contact is, you know, that point of emphasis, if that can extend some drives this year across the league is more coaches go for it on fourth and short, instead of attempting a long field goal or punting the ball, just extending drives. It kind of gets you more bites at the apple at getting the ball right down near the goal line. And even without a PI in the end zone, so many plays, the field just compresses uh, when, when we've got 22 bodies in that tight of a space and, when teams have goal to go, it's not uncommon just to get stopped at the one and then to have another play or more than one more play from the one yard line after that. So I, when I see a total this high, I expect that some offshores will probably open this as low as minus 125. Yeah. Um, there's a regulated book that's probably going to have it, a US regulated book that's probably going to have it more in the minus 150 range. And I'd be fine up to that price point. So shop around, you can probably get minus 125, but up to minus 150. 
that's a break-even probability of 60%. Again, I know that can sound steep when it sounds like such a specific outcome as a one-yard touchdown. But a couple things I like about this, we saw both the Chargers and Chiefs score touchdowns from the one-yard line last week, and I don't think that was an isolated incident. Last year, the Chiefs really reversed something that I experienced in 2020 where they had been my kryptonite for this bet because they had just drafted CEH in 2020. They didn't have as good enough offensive line. And it just seemed like they kept getting stonewalled near the goal line. And Andy Reid, as creative as he is, didn't take too long to adjust. And we're seeing a lot more creativity, even if it's the passing game for the Chiefs down at the one or those shovel passes lining up somebody as a fullback and the underhand toss. Um, Yeah. Travis Kelsey, obviously a force to be reckoned with in tight quarters. So Kansas City has become a team that can really show a lot of efficiency in short yardage situations. And the Chargers at the one last week, they also passed for a touchdown. Um, so just seeing, you know, the ability to open up the field and not just run straight up the middle. Um, I, I like seeing a little bit of creativity there. And at the same time, if they need to run for a short yardage, This year, they might be better equipped having drafted Zion Johnson to help anchor the right side of that offensive line. I know Trey Pipkins at right tackle is the big question mark, but he's also a better run blocker than pass blocker based on all reports that I've seen. So now it's not the given that it was last year. If the Chargers are in a fourth and one and they're running the ball, it's got to go to the left side. Now they have more options. They can keep defenses honest in short yardage situations. So from both just a pure math standpoint and a handicapping standpoint with these two teams, I would say that prop at shortest touchdown under one and a half showing a lot of appeal to me for the Thursday nighter. Yeah, and just having a quick look then, there's a minus 125 on it, four to five in the UK uh, that's available at the minute for anyone who is interested. It's a bet I've loved for years. and I, I knew exactly where you were going because I know from uh, your own podcast, I've, I've heard you speak about it ample time and especially with passing quarterbacks like Mahomes, Herbert, with the chance of defensive pass interference, so many ways for for the bet to win. Um, Yeah, I think it's a a really good one. And yeah, there's nothing really for me that I like. I couldn't be betting the Chiefs at the the line that it is. The over and it's it's a high total. Um, I'd lean maybe the over. But the one bet that I like, and it's a prop bet, and it's going to be McCall Hardman under three and a half catches. He's only done this seven seven times in 21 games. So I know obviously without Hill this year, but the Chiefs offense is still throwing it to so many different wide receivers. I think it's going to be hard for many of them to get into the four catches. Juju is probably still for me the main beneficiary with Kels, obviously, that's going to get a lot of it. But then between Hardman, MVS, Sky Moore, the running backs with McKinnon, with CEH, it's quite a dogfight, and any given week, any of them could go off. But I think for him to get four catches, I think he's going to be a little bit tougher than uh, the most. So I'm happy to play him at under three and a half catches. That's Quick follow-up for you there, if yeah. I may. So last week, uh, I caught the Chiefs-Cardinals game mostly through the Red Zone channel. So in other words, I saw basically the entire game with the Chiefs offense threatening <laughs> to score. And yeah. if I recall correctly, Nicole Hardman had a touchdown reception. What was his output like for the game? And, and how much did it seem to you like he was getting targeted in this new look offense, as you touched on, without Tyreek Hill? So he was he had six, six, um, six targets, but 
The problem with McCall Hardman that I found over the couple of years is his route running is really not up to scratch. Uh, I think I think this will be his last year at the Chiefs. I think this is his fifth year. I, or is it his fourth year? I think I don't think they'll 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 keep it. I think he'll be gone. There's just there's too many mental errors he seems to make on the route running. Then he's had some drops, and when you have that with someone like Mahomes, it's very hard to keep getting trusted to be throwing the ball if you're not making the catches all the time. Different on deep balls and that that they are a bit more obviously less completion percentage, but. If you're running the wrong routes, that, that's your way to get in a bad book straight away with your quarterback. So he's a player I've always looked at to take the under anyway. And I think the thing is with this Chiefs offense is that they are going to just keep spreading it around. I don't think they're going to, it's going to be very different this year. It's going to be a lot more shorter passing um, than what it was with Tyreek Hill. So sounds like a game where the Chargers uh, would probably benefit to have JC Jackson in there. Yeah. That was my first concern when the news came about about his surgery. Two to four week time frame yeah. immediately jumped to, you know, okay, week one, Asumi is out. Week two, Kansas City, short week, the Thursday nighter. I feel like Staley saying in a presser that he was 50 50 to play. Man, if this game was on Sunday, those odds are probably looking a lot better. So that yeah. could be a big break for the Kansas City wide receiving core. Yeah, definitely. Hundred percent, and uh, and the way that Waller and Adams played on Sunday, I'm hopeful that with Kelson, maybe Juju, we might uh, we might see the same success, but obviously not from, from yourself standpoint, but uh, is for mine. Um, Matt, just uh, a couple of things before we let you go. Obviously, you've moved on now to the Hammer Network. Do you want to speak a little bit about what that is all about? And obviously, there's so many really good gamblers involved in this. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to do so. For the unacquainted, The Hammer is a new sports betting media company with the goal of bringing value to all bettors with video, audio, and written content that people can trust and enjoy. And a lot of content that's out there right now and there is plenty of good stuff that's out there. Most of it tends to skew either quite sharp or quite square. And what we're looking to do with the hammer is to bridge that gap. Whether somebody's purely betting for entertainment value, they just want to have a good time with it. Perhaps we've got up and coming bettors looking to get sharper along their journey are people who are already sharp and they want to get even sharper, but they want the fun stuff too, to have a good time with it. You know, any of those categories, the full spectrum, I, I feel like we've got you covered pretty well. You touched on it a bit. We've got what I consider to be a dream team of more than 50 content creators. And that includes really fun personalities from John Anik and Pat Mayo. Joey Kanish just has unbelievable energy. So they bring a lot of fun to the table. And then professional bettors, some of the brightest betting minds that I've ever come across, from Rob Pozzola to Fabian Summer to the Hitman and others. It's, it's just a lot going on to cover that full spectrum. We've got more than 20 shows available across platforms. Everything we do, video, audio, and article-wise, is available at thehammer.bet. But if you prefer to watch video on YouTube or listen to podcasts via Apple or Spotify, we're there as well. So if anybody's curious, I'd encourage you to check out www.thehammer.bet. And we can also be found on Twitter at thehammerhq. Yeah, uh, and it, it is. I, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of them guests that have been on my on, on this podcast. Um, so I know firsthand how, how good they are, especially the hitman, Rob Pozzola, Fabian Summer, excellent, excellent guests and great minds. 
Um, so I know I, I like the first couple of episodes you did with the Hitman and Fabian Summer on the line moves last week, Wednesday and Friday with the Hitman for the player props. So yeah, everyone, when you're not listening to this, definitely get on and be listening to that because you'll learn so much in a very short space of time. And I cannot speak of it highly enough what they're trying to do um, and how, how much we'll all grow and learn as better and, and hopefully win a lot of money between us all. Yeah, thank you for the kind words. I mean, I knew for, for a little while before the Hammer publicly launched the day before the season kicked off, I knew that I was going to be hosting Props and Hops twice a week, once with Fabian Summer on Wednesdays to look at line moves. So we're calling that show Between the Lines. Uh, also, once a week on Fridays, as you touched on with the Hitman to focus on the props. And even knowing it was coming, it was just still so surreal to record with them last week and making it real. I, I just wasn't convinced that it still wasn't some sort of amazing dream to be yeah. in that kind of company is absolutely surreal and i'll just do my best to tee them up and let them shine so that everybody who tunes in uh to youtube or in podcast form can really reap the benefits of their knowledge definitely yeah i always say it. no one wants to listen to me on here it's all about the guests <laughs> no that's not putting myself down that's that's what it is and it's great because i learn as much as what hopefully everyone else is learning from from a listener standpoint so it's ideal and as you said dream scenario i know how hard you've worked over the years matt um, since I first met you. So nothing but um, really, really proud of you, mate. Thank you. Much appreciated. Uh, before I let you go then, Matt, quick question and answer. I can't remember if I had you do it last year or not. You might have, but we'll, uh, I've tried to have a few different questions to uh, to not be too repetitive. So this year's Super Bowl matchup. I should be more prepared to answer that. Um I will, I will let my fandom out a little bit as much as I pride myself in being objective. And I will say Chargers out of the AFC. And having watched week one now, give me the Vikings out of the NFC. Okay, I, I would love to see it. Uh, a week ago, I probably would have had a different answer. I know Buffalo is yeah. the consensus number one team. The NFC is wide open. Your Chiefs, certainly a threat to get there and win it again. But yeah, right now, I'm just... I feel like I would love to see a Chargers-Vikings matchup, and I don't feel like it's too far out of the realm of possibility compared to what we've seen from those teams in recent years. Certainly not. Not in that F NFC. And uh, as you missed the props and hops, your favorite craft beer? Favorite craft beer would be an IPA called Julius. It's made by Treehouse Brewing Company there in Massachusetts, so a little outside of Boston. Okay. And... If anybody has ever been to a mall in the U.S. and seen, there were those little pop-up shops like Orange Julius where you could kind of get a smoothie. The the name Julius just kind of conjures that image. It is very citrusy, a, a lot of notes of like orange, maybe some grapefruit, also kind of tropical, some pineapple, some stone fruit, mango flavor also creeping in there. And it is an IPA that masks the ABV so well. You can have, a, you know, a couple of them and, and you're feeling pretty good, but it's not one of these big double or triple IPAs that those yeah. can be delicious, but they've gotten really trendy in recent years. Mm -hmm. Julius is still a classic, uh, just one of the OGs on the New England IPA style. And if anybody can ever get their hands on it, I cannot highly recommend it enough. Perfect. One of my good uh, friends from school has just moved to Boston. So after we come off here, I'll send him a message to uh, to check it out or actually send me some over. There you go. Favorite, favorite movie? Favorite movie is Major League. So uh, kind of phasing out of baseball mode as the NFL kicks off, but I could watch Major League anytime. I think it's an incredible comedy, of course. Um, 
there, there are so many good actors that play on the Indians in the movie, but even Bob Euchre as the team's announcer, just on every single level, it seems like they nailed it um, from a comedy standpoint, but they also really nail the big moments from a pure baseball standpoint. There's like an overhead shot of a packed stadium is Cleveland's about to take the field in a play-in game against their bitter rivals. Of course, in any baseball movie, the Yankees will be the rival. And they're just goosebumps moments uh, when Wild Thing, you know, walks in yeah, from the bullpen yeah, yeah, in that right. last game. So it's not just going to make you laugh. It's also just going to give you goosebumps if you're, you know, any sports fan at all. So the way they tie everything together, uh, I, I could watch that movie, you know, just almost every day of the rest of my life and probably have zero complaints about it. <laughs> nice. Favorite holiday destination? Uh Let's go with Yosemite. So this past okay. Christmas, my wife and I started what's now a new annual tradition for the two of us where Christmas Eve, we drove up from Los Angeles to Yosemite. Um, a pretty nice road trip, a straight shot, a beautiful drive when you're heading into Yosemite for the last hour or so. Also a really nice diner at just about the halfway point. So we've got a, a favorite stop on the way there and on the way back for food. And then being in Yosemite for Christmas uh, last year, we got snow, that real wow. white Christmas, did some sledding, just acted like kids for a few hours on a hill to one side was Half Dome. Often the distance on the other side was El Capitan. It was just unbelievable scenery, um, unbelievable wow. conditions. One of the most beautiful places in the world. I think a lot of people would have a hard time arguing against that. So just being close enough from LA to make the trip up, we just have a plan now, drive up on christmas eve drive back the day after christmas get a couple days and nights there um we we could stay for longer but just getting in those those quicker trips were kind of the uh i guess the king and queen of the three-day weekend in our mind Perfect. and that christmas trip to yosemite is the pinnacle of that for us that sounds amazing it's with two young girls uh i know how much they love sledging and we love it out in america uh close i got was san francisco to yosemite oh, that one <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah it does it's definitely a place on the bucket list to do at some point favorite thing for you to do when to away from the nfl oh man well if you're having me on as the host of props and hops then i've got to say exploring the embarrassment of riches that southern california has to offer in the craft beer scene um there nice. there's just so much out there right now so exploring that not just for the beer and and getting a good buzz is nice but I, i'm not doing this you know to try to get hammered or, or have a hangover the next day it, it's really an enjoyable social experience i found um while i will nerd out on a great beer with anybody my wife surprised me for my birthday about six years ago at this stage with a trip up the central coast of california and we just hopped around to different breweries and We've met so many cool people. I've made some of my best friends now through the craft beer scene. So just the way it all comes together, kind of a parallel to gambling where, yes, there's an interest in betting and trying to win money, but getting to connect with somebody like you or now getting yeah. even to work with guys like Rob Pizzola and Johnny from BetSamp and the team at The Hammer, the doors that it can open, you know, there's, there's a passion point initially, but the people that can come in and share that interest really make it worthwhile. Yeah, great answer. Great answer. And it's what it's all about, living life like that. Matt, thank you for coming on. I know uh, we've gone a little bit over and you push for time, but really appreciate it. I'm sure I will get you back on again, hopefully um, later on in the season. Chiefs Chargers rematch, something like that. We'll, we'll figure it out anyway to have you on. 
But I wish you the best of luck with Hammer Time and uh, everything else going on with props and hots. Thank you so much, Ross. I look forward to connecting once again when we are perhaps days away from the Chargers going for the season sweep of your Chiefs. <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. And everyone else, obviously, first DraftKings League was this week. A gentleman, I think a gentleman, it could be a lady, uh, Stuff Miami won the first one. The second one will be up tomorrow, so everyone join back in if you can. It's a $300 on offer that DraftKings give us. Matt, you're more than welcome to join the league. I'll post out the link and can get involved and, and play all for free. Sounds good, Ross. Thank you for having me. Uh, I would wish you best of luck with your Chiefs almost any other week, but <laughs> let's have a good time watching this one on Thursday. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back Friday or Saturday with a Player Props podcast. Good luck, everyone.